Hello, you're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Let's turn again tonight to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Our attention tonight is going to fall on the verses from 19 uh, through 22. Again, four short verses. Uh, but let's read together from the verse number 16. So reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and the verse number 16 through to 22. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit, despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. Amen. We look to God again to bless our studies in His Word tonight. These four verses, 19 uh, through to 22, are connected. And part of my desire tonight is to try to prove that sense of connection. Sometimes the thoughts are just plucked out of the context, and they're used to say other, perhaps even important things. And you get the idea that abstaining from all appearance of evil is often used to uh, give the idea that a Christian should not even look like they're doing something that may be perceived as being wrong. And there's some truth in that, uh, but I don't think that's the sense of the verse. I think these things are connected, and I think to understand that connection, uh, we should probably begin by thinking about the concept of prophecy in the New Testament Verse 20 says, despise not prophesyings. I think the lesson I want us to learn by the end of this is that we would understand the importance of valuing the true words of God. That's the end of this message. I want us all to value the importance of the true words of God. Prophecy in the New Testament age functions in a somewhat similar fashion to that in the Old there were some individuals in the New Testament church who served as prophets, but not everyone. There were those who were prophets in that time. You read of Acts chapter 11 of a significant prophet called Agabus. It says there, And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and his word at that time was to tell the people about a famine that was coming throughout all the world. Uh, and that sets in motion action in the early church to minister to the needs of those uh, affected by that famine. Agabus was the prophet. And as the prophet, he does what a prophet does. He brings forth a word from God. That's the word, that what it means in its origin. It has that idea of foretelling, telling something forward. Not always foretelling events, but always bringing a word that comes from God. The prophet was someone who had received a word of revelation from God. Agabus appears uh, later on in Acts chapter 21, this time in connection with Paul's journey and uh, how he's going to be bound. 
at Jerusalem, again, for the crime as they sort of preaching the gospel. Agabus comes, the prophet, and makes that prediction in Acts 21. You've also got men like Judas and Silas. They're mentioned in Acts 15. Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words. And they get the idea that these prophets were people who brought words from God to the people the same way as the prophets in the Old Testament brought the word from the Lord. And so there were these individuals who were prophets. The difference between the Old and the New Testament is that this gift of prophecy was given more generally. In the Old Testament, it is very restricted. And there's only a select number of individuals, but we have the expectation in the New Testament of a wide spreading of this gift. You turn back to Acts chapter 2. And in the Death Pentecost sermon, uh, Peter quotes from the prophet Joel. In Acts 2, 17, it says this, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. Now remember, uh, Peter is explaining the tongues speaking of the disciples in Acts chapter 2, and he's telling the people listening, this tongue speaking is in fulfillment of these words from Joel. Verse 17, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men, old men shall dream dreams. And so you have this expectation of prophetic ministry. Verse 18, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And so part of the signal of the beginning of the New Testament age was the widespread nature of this gift of prophecy. It wasn't just to one or two individuals. It was a gift that was given to the church. And so you turn across now to 1 Corinthians, and you'll see this gift mentioned there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, "...for to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom." to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gift of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy. It's concluded, it's included in this list of gifts. It's a gift given to the church. And in the language of chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, it was given for the edification of the church. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. And so I think you see very clearly that in New Testament terms, prophecy was a gift given by the Spirit, given upon various men and women in the church, that they would communicate truth from God to the church for the benefit of the church. Now, the debate rages. And I say it rages. It was a relatively new debate in the 1900s and forward. The debate rages as to whether or not these gifts are temporary in the New Testament church or they are permanent uh, even up until today. Do we have prophets today? Again, this is going to be important because in this chapter in Thessalonians, we're told to despise not prophesyings. And so do we have prophesyings in the church today? 
Well, I think you know the understanding of our denomination in that regard. And we believe the gift of prophecy to be temporary to the beginning of the New Testament church, not to be continued throughout the church in its development even up to now. Various arguments for that. You can certainly argue from God's completed canon of Scripture. You get the sense in the New Testament that God has brought a final word. Hebrews gives us that. Hebrews chapter 1. God in sundry times and diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. So you get the idea that the ministry of the apostles being the ministry of Christ, the church, well, when the apostles' ministry finishes, so that time period stops. There is a completed revelation from God, and that's been the understanding of Reformed churches for many, many centuries. But whilst that argument is true, I think there's an even more important and clear argument found in Ephesians chapter 2. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2. So yes, so there's the argument that God's canon is completed in the New Testament Scriptures. There's no more need for new revelations. But in Ephesians chapter 2, that point is made in these words. Ephesians 2, verse number 20, "...and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets." It's referring to the church. The church that is a gathering of Jews and Gentiles, they're reconciled together. Now the Gentiles being brought into the covenants of promise. They're no longer afar off. They're made nigh by the blood of Christ. And to this church, there is a, a building. The church grows, but it's built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the foundation is something that is built once. Foundation is something upon which a structure grows. And so you have the foundation laid, and then you build, you build row of brick upon row of brick, or whatever structure you may put upon the foundation, but the foundation is built only once. And so I think the idea there is that the apostles and the prophets, they give the foundation of the revelation that is required upon which the church is fitly framed together. Verse number 21. And so the prophets here are connected with the apostles, but they serve for the foundation and not for the ongoing building of the New Testament church. And so in the New Testament, prophets were responsible for bringing a word of revelation from God. And you should understand that we live in a day when there's still, uh, there's still all sorts of confusion regarding the continuation of the charismatic gifts but I'm suggesting to you that in the New Testament, these people called prophets, they brought a word of revelation that they received directly from God, and they brought that word to the people. And so in one sense, we have no continuing prophetic gift or ministry today. And so the application of 1 Corinthians 15 does not come to us directly we have no direct application for us to despise not prophesyings. The application comes to us indirectly. It's a secondary application. But there is application, and important application for us in every age. And there are principles that come out of this portion that we should take very, very seriously. First of all, there is the need for us in every age and for us in this age to treasure the Word of God. 
to treasure God's words that are given to us in the Scriptures. That is, I believe, the positive inference from the words of verse 19 and 20. Verse 20 says, despise not prophesyings. That word to despise means to set it not. It's translated that way in other portions. It has the idea of making prophesyings or having the view that prophecy is worthless and of no value. It also has the idea of holding something as being contemptible. To set it not, to despise it, the, the word means what it means. You despise something, you don't value it. You treat it as something to be discarded, something that's worthless. And Paul is telling the church here, be careful. Despise not prophesyings. It seems to be the case that in this church in Thessalonica, God is speaking through prophets. Now, there were those in this church, as there were in Corinth, who had this particular gift, and they were bringing words from God, and God's word was being despised. Now, note, it doesn't say despise not prophets, but despise not prophesyings. And that word includes both the messenger and the message, but particularly the message. Despise not the message which is brought to you from the mouth of prophets. That's the sense of verse number 20. And what is interesting to me is that there is the thought here that their attitude to the word had an impact on the blessing. You see, prophecy came by the Spirit. And we saw that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's by the Spirit comes this gift of prophecy. And so verse number 19 says, Quench not the Spirit, despise not prophesyings. The word to quench there has the idea of putting out a fire or a light. We might think of snuffing out a candle, or it may even involve the extinguishing of a raging furnace. Choose in those various ways. Don't put out the fire or the light of the Spirit. And of course, fire and light are very good pictures of the Spirit and the Spirit's work. The Spirit illuminates and warms the church. The Spirit comes and communicates truth, brings light and darkness and heat when there is spiritual coldness. The Spirit comes and blesses us through the Word. And so what Paul is saying here is that people were potentially hindering the working of God among them. That as they despised the Word, they were therefore quenching the Spirit in their midst. Now, it's a fair question to ask. Does verse 19 relate to the previous or the following context? It just sits there in the middle of this section. And so some people say... Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, or else you'll quench the spirits. Some people see it that way. Make sure you're joyful, make sure you're praying, make sure you're thankful, or you'll quench the spirit in the church. And that's clearly true. We've got to cultivate the right attitude in public worship, joy and prayer and thanksgiving. But when we lack joy... And when we stop praying, and when we're not thankful, we are then spiritually unhealthy. And in a spiritually unhealthy state, we are then susceptible to despising the Word of God. And that's the connection here. 
When we find ourselves in a state of spiritual malady, we are more likely to not value the Word of God that comes to our minds. We're fearfully and wonderfully made in the spiritual sense, and we're connected. And when we are sick, we lose our spiritual appetite. Doesn't the same thing happen naturally? Isn't that what you say? You, your, your, your relative, they find themselves sick, and you think to yourself, well, they, they were off their food for a few days. Well, being off their food was a symptom of the sickness that was developing. And so what's happening in the church here is Paul is fearful for the church's health. And so he puts all this together. Ensure you have the right attitude because your attitude matters. It matters to the blessing of God. And so we must be careful that our bad attitude in God's work does not have an impact upon the Lord's blessing upon the work. Again, I say this is in the context of spiritual gifts. We have no gift of prophecy, so the application is secondary. But I think there is a general application that when God's people despise the Word of God, they grieve the Spirit. And when God's people despise the Word of God, they are manifesting spiritual illness. And there is the need for God to come and deal with us. You see, if you turn back, please, to Matthew chapter 15, or sorry, Matthew 13, you will see this principle is really written into the preaching of Christ himself. Matthew 13 is a chapter with parables, various ways in which the Lord teaches the kingdom. And in verse number 12, he gives this warning. For whoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that that he hath. And the idea is that there were those who were given the parables and understood the parables, and they had the ears to hear. You can read that in the context. Those who have ears to hear are blessed. And they were given, and they were given more. But those who despised the Word of God, those who had no time for the Word of God, they were those from whom the Word of God was taken. And so you get this connection, don't you? If there is a despising of the Word of God, then there is the removal of God's blessing upon a church, potentially. And God takes that which people don't want to have. It just reminds us again today of the need to value the Word of God to cultivate our hunger for the Word of God. You know, there are various things that go into God's blessing upon a Lord's Day service. It is vital that the teacher, whoever that may be, comes prepared academically, that they've worked hard to study what the passage means. They don't come carelessly and just say the first thing that comes to their minds. They are carefully prepared, and they are also spiritually prepared. They come with a sense of expecting God to speak through them. There's spiritual and academic preparation in the preacher and the teacher. But it's also vitally important that the Lord's people come prepared, that they come with a determination and a hunger to hear the Word of God, with an expectation that they will be given the Word of God in its fullness. And when God comes and blesses the meeting, it is when both people and preacher come with this unified sense of being in the blessing of God. 
And the Spirit of God nurturing the people as pastor and preacher know this mutual joy of laboring in the Lord. So cultivate your hunger for the Word, please. Value the Word. I cannot tell you to despise not prophesyings, but I can tell you despise not the Word of God. Don't despise the preaching of God's Word. Don't despise the reading of God's Word. Value that as a great gift from God. So that's the first thing, treasure the Word. The second thing then is to test the Word, to test the Word. Prove all things. Again, this word to prove has that idea of testing something to see if it's genuine. Prove, test the word. The word is used elsewhere in the King James Version with the word approved. Something is approved, it's been tested, it's approved as being genuine. And so what Paul is telling the church here is, don't despise the gift of prophecy, but when you experience that gift, don't be gullible. Don't presume that because someone says they're a prophet that they are therefore a prophet. Test the prophets. The same was true in the Old Testament back in Deuteronomy chapter 13. There is the warning that a prophet may come, Deuteronomy 13, if there arise among you a prophet and they do a sign or a wonder and they say, look at me, I'm a prophet. But the prophet says, let us go after other gods. Don't listen to them. Test the prophets. Make sure that what they say is consistent with previous revelation. That's the first test. The man comes and gives a word of prophecy. Is that word consistent with previous revelation? Didn't the Bereans do that in Acts 17? They're more noble because they tested the words of the apostle. They searched the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so, and they examined the Word against the previous revelation. You know, God never, ever contradicts Himself. And sometimes you get words of prophecy so-called today, but they don't agree with what the Word of God says. It's a false word of prophecy, and it should be despised, because it's not true. Don't despise the Word of God, but despise the false you got tested against the previous words of God. They had to test it against the gospel. Remember Galatians chapter 1, if anybody, even an angel, says something which is not according to our gospel, let him be anathema. Don't trust something that's not according to the gospel. 1 John chapter 4, you got to test the spirits to see if they come from God. If they deny that Christ came in the flesh, they're not of God. You have to test these things. That's 1 John chapter 4. You've got to test the word against the gospel, against previous revelation, and also tested against the outcome. Paul exposes false teachers by the fact that their false teaching is not according to godliness. It doesn't produce holiness. The word of God from the prophets, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, were to be unto edification, to build up in likeness to Christ and holiness. Now, we don't test the scriptures. The scriptures are given to us. It's interesting to note that when Paul finishes this letter, verse 27, he says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. He understands that as an apostle, he has got a weight of authority that is higher than the prophet. The prophet had to be tested. The apostle had to be trusted because his word came with direct inspiration from God. 
But that's by the, by the way. We today have no right to test the Scriptures. It is the final revelation. But we certainly do have the need to test all teaching of the Scriptures. We've got to ensure that we're careful to scrutinize what is taught from the Word of God. Is what is taught consistent with Scripture? The same test. Is what is taught true to the Gospel? And is what is taught edifying? Does it produce holiness? Or does it lead people to an ungodly lifestyle? These are things we should test, prove all things. Which leads then to the third application, and that is to take hold of the true word. If you're going to treasure the word, uh, and you're going to test the word, well then the outcome of that testing is to take hold of the word. Verse number 21, hold fast that which is good. Now here these two verses, 21 and 22, come together. Test the word, is it true? If it is good, hold it fast. If it is evil, abstain from it. That's the sense of those words. There's a parallel context here. Prove all things, and then you'll see verse 21, the word good, and verse 22, the word evil. They're opposites. And it's telling us that the result of our efforts to test the Word of God will lead us to the conviction the Word is good and true, or it's false and evil. And if it's good and true, hold it fast. And if it's bad and evil, then we are to abstain from it. The word means to avoid it. Hold fast the true and run a mile from the false. Don't tolerate a little bit of leaving. Don't tolerate any false doctrine. Ensure that you abstain from it entirely. Every way that false doctrine may appear, it may appear doctrinally or it may appear morally. If you see moral falsehood in teaching, run from it. If you see doctrinal falsehood in teaching, run from it. Hold fast what is good and avoid all that is false. And so you see how this all fits together. Don't despise the Word of God. In so doing, you may hinder the blessing of God upon His work. But when the Word of God is brought to your attention, test it. Is it from God? And if it's from God, hold it tenaciously. Believe it wholeheartedly. Defend it fiercely. And ensure that this is the Word of God, because the Word of God is worth defending. It's worth holding fast to. But error must be run from. Stay away from every appearance of false teaching in the church. Value the Word of God, because it is the Word of God that leads us to Christ. Truth matters in the church. Not just experience, but experience that comes through truth is to be greatly valued. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. 
We preach Christ crucified.